0: Extra strong Roman concrete. Fully hydraulic. Ice connections. It's the structural engineering podcast. Hey, and welcome to this week's episode of the Structural Engineering Podcast. My name is Max. And I'm Zach. And this week's episode is going to blow you away. What are we talking about this week, Zach?
1: Oh, we're talking wind loading. Nice. Nice Toronto. thing
0: about wind, unlike seismic, is it's everywhere. Can't move to Nebraska and hide from
1: it it's there that is a good point it's, it's definitely a different lateral load but it's a totally different way that it is applied you know seismic is being ground motion and and wind being a fluid pressure up against our structures i think it'll be interesting to dive into wind loading and and learn a little bit more how about this week before we dive into that we follow up on some quick news yeah yeah what do you got so I just saw the Salesforce Transit Center. You know, we talked to before about big plate girder that had failed. Um, crack in there, right? Oh the yeah, big flange crack. That b- bottom flange crack of the four inch built up section, an I-shaped section that was tapered. The flanges were four inches thick. Well, they've come to a conclusion of what it was and it turned out it is actually an error on the fabricators part of things. I believe what I was saying is they torched the hole into the plate, and then they didn't grind it smooth, and there was this whole process that created uh, the failure uh, <laughs> of like a, the the middle part of the plate became very brittle, and due to the the loading of the structure um, as it was opened, it created that fracture. So I and think that's that, crazy. It's pretty crazy to see how fast the they fracture it, grew, or the how fa- fast the, how actually, they figured it out. Yeah, both of those. I, yeah. I, I, I think it's pretty crazy you know you you look at the bridge in florida that collapsed and <laughs> that's taken a lot longer to really get to it to what happened than this and sh- you know sure there's a lot of different other factors that were going on with the bridge in florida and, and some new systems that were being used that might you know be adding to this delay of un, you know understanding fully uh-huh. but uh, i think it's pretty cool in the salesforce um, transit center that they kind of kept people up to date and yeah uh, absolutely i believe this news came out of uh the uh steel the steel conference that happened last week in st louis ah cool i imagine that
0: engineer is a great sigh of relief but man i feel bad for everyone in that situation um if it's on the fabricator that's just
1: that's just a bummer all around yeah absolutely it's uh you know, it's a, definitely good lessons learned for um, that industry. I wonder, um,
0: you know, I remember when we were talking about this the first time, we mentioned that the detail, you know, was, nobody thought it was a good detail. Um, people, you know, that review this type of thing, not us, we don't know, but, but you know, people that are professional in, in this sort of detailing said, this is just not a great way to to route your loads. You know, I wonder if he had done it somehow a little bit better if this, if, the fatigue never would have, you know, propagated, but those,
1: the micro cracks. Right. I mean, yeah. And, and it's just, it's, yeah. And it's, it's just crazy to think that the way they found this issue was due to the fireproofing being cracked. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. Yeah. It could have been catastrophic pretty easily. So yeah, that's the news this week. Something else that's going on that's really cool is the tall building council is uh, meeting in China right now. And so I believe there should be some pretty cool news next week, next episode. comes out of that. What about this uh, for a
0: segue? Let's get windy. uh, There's wind in China. Speaking of which. Wow. Yeah. That's as good as I have. Mind blown. (laughs) Where does wind come from? What is this thing? Let's start at the bottom.
1: Exactly. It's from people breathing
0: <laughs> across the world. No,
1: it's... Know, I believe winds were it's... developed by the International Building Code. Really? I believe it it's just a conspiracy. Just give you to do when there wasn't an earthquake. They got jealous of earthquake loading and they wanted something else.
0: Well, I got a better answer.
1: <laughs> I'm going to give you the sun.
0: Hit me with your best shot. Oh, that's it. The sun. That was as good as it gets. Boom. So ulti- ultimately, wind comes from uneven loading heating i guess (laughs) heat loading of of the earth right what about black holes uh you know hot topic but uh not helping us right now not not important to this yes basically earth spins around gosh um and heats some areas of the Earth's surface more Beto or something like this i haven't used that word in a while basically how much heat a surface takes in and yeah. so you know a black surface takes in more heat than a white surface so due to that uneven heating there have high pressures and low pressures and the same you know that sort of creates storm cycles I obviously don't know really what I'm talking about this is not structural engineering but I read it so <laughs> on the internet we, I, it was a, it was a book it was a textbook so the, <laughs> so the, so the wind wants to move from the higher pressure area to the lower pressure area and it's just a constant cycle and there's sort of a dominant wind. In, in the Northern Hemisphere, it goes from the west
1: side to the east side, heading slightly south. So I think to summarize that, the sun heats the air, the, the, and then hot air rises, cool air moves in to feel, fill the space, and then thus moving air is wind. Let's go with and that. That's, and let's call that the wind cycle.
0: Let's call it the wind cycle. What about the wind scale? Now you've lost me. <laughs> there was a guy, Sir Francis Beaufort, in 1805 that had nothing better to do but to break wind speeds up into a little categories and formally make a wind scale. The Beaufort, the Beaufort wind scale, or Beaufort. Uh, this is you know sort of comparable to. I'm you gonna know, say the Mercalli. It has nothing to do with damage. It only has to do with wind speed. So, yeah, he's got the scale, and he he broke it up um, into, I don't know, it looks like almost a dozen categories here. And they have nice words like strong breeze is 22 to 27 knots. It starts with a gentle breeze. It moves to a moderate breeze. uh, It gets into a gale, a strong gale. It goes on and on. They're very uh, nondescriptive. But this is the the formal scale. This is the formal wind measuring scale. And anything over, so you end on hurricane. It goes violent storm, hurricane, and then anything more than that,
1: that's just too fast. Do you know what uh, knot conversion is to miles per hour? <sighs> no, no idea. One knot is equal to 1.15 miles an hour. What's a knot? So, have you ever tied your shoes? <laughs> okay. Hey, how it's fast do you <laughs> mile. It's a nautical mile per hour. Uh. <laughs> What's the fastest wind you've seen? 270. You were there? I was there. Come on. I was dreaming. <laughs> 270's got to be a tornado though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, yeah. that's a that's a whole other topic we go over. The FEMA 500. The storm shelters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I found, okay, so I think on the East
0: Coast at least, I grew up knowing, being told that Mount Washington was the windiest place on Earth because it's, you know, cool. And they had a wind speed of 231 miles an hour recorded in 1934 wow so it is no longer the fastest ground wind speed non-tornado um that was beat in oh what was it 2005 or something 253 miles an hour in australia my goodness yeah. Let's see. So we're we're in a pretty windy region here, the front range of Colorado. What sort of wind speeds do we deal with on a normal basis? I
1: would say probably somewhere around 140.
0: 140, yeah, and that, that'd be that'd be getting up there, but we definitely have 140 on the front range and then heading into the mountains, I think 180. I guess this is 180, a little town in the hills up here. So when we're looking at these wind speeds, yeah, you know, we get from the code, we pull this 140, 180, you know, down really in our town we're looking at 115 to 130 where does that wind speed come from you know what who decides that is the speed that we're going to design for because obviously you know if you go out to mount washington i i don't think they're going to tell you that the design wind speed is
1: 231 miles an hour yeah it's based off of a committee that decides uh, an occurrence i would i would guess you 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 would you would know you would know yeah you're, <laughs> I mean, you're right on it's 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 some
0: heavy statistics I have a hunch but based on the the data that they have um, and, and this has changed a lot I don't want to jump around too much here but you know right now we look at a three second gust but we used to look at something that was just fastest um, fastest mile the weather stations, Kind of stopped recording fastest mile in a sense and and they changed over to this three second gust sort of recording so the building code had to follow the available data so now we're in this three second gust sort of deal and the way they decide how much you know what is the wind speed that we need to design for is by saying the what mean recurrence interval is most appropriate for the building type um, so this is all about like the reliability of the building Basically, like when we're talking about seismic, the chance that it falls down. What wind speed can do we have to design to that are uh, the probability of this building falling down is within our standards? So when we're looking right now in ASCE 710, if that's what you were working with, and, and beyond that, pretty sure I haven't double checked this one, but if you go into ASE 716, you're looking at a 3,000 year mean recurrence interval. So what this means is that uh, looking at a 700 year MRI, which is for a risk category two building, there is a 0.14% probability that that event will happen every single year. Uh, you know, This is the same as you would see like a hundred year flood you'd hear in the news. And you could have multiple hundred year floods you know, back to back. It just means there's a one in a hundred percent, one in a hundred chance that that's going to occur in a given year. Yeah, so we've got you know, looking at what we designed for, a 300-year MRI when we're looking at risk category 1 buildings. So these are your barns and whatnot. Moving to risk category 2, like I said, we're at 700. And then in ASCE 710, risk category 3 and 4 are combined, and that's a 1700-year mean recurrence interval, which is a very long time.
1: (laughs) That's what I want all my buildings designed to.
0: Coming right up. Easy. But I mean, these wind speeds are not dramatically different, right? If If you're jumping from you can kind of compare it to the old ASE 705 where we still used importance factors. The numbers are, are pretty comparable. You know, you're looking at maybe a 10% difference between risk categories.
1: Well, now that we have a good understanding of where winds come from and, and you know, a little bit about the speeds of wind, I guess the next thing that we can really go into is wh- where do our pressures come from? What codes are we looking at? Where in the codes are we are we getting these pressures from? And then, you know, what factors, what what are the big things I need to look at and need to understand for my wind loading?
0: If we look at the, the wind pressure is probably the next place to start. Um, and we're kind of skipping around the different procedures that you have for analyzing and building for wind pressures. And I think that we're We're going to do a back-to-back podcast here and get into some examples of some of these procedures. There are more or less five in ASC 710 and three in ASC 705, but we'll get to those later. But either way, we've got a pressure, and our pressure is proportional to the square of the velocity, uh, no matter how you're looking at this, right? So if we were in ASC 705, our uh, velocity pressure, which we evaluate at our mean roof height, is equal to a constant. So in our case, it's 0.00256 times a couple factors, KZ, KZT, KD, V squared, and I, right? So in 705, we still had that I that we just mentioned, where instead of adjusting for our uh, mean recurrence interval, we just forced that value to be 10% higher, 10% lower. Um, But yeah, so looking at 705... When we move to 7.010, we lose the importance factor, but it's the exact same equation. We've got the same equation, just no importance factor. And instead, we adjust it with our new wind speed maps. So we have the same 0.00256 and all these k values. So our kz is a velocity pressure exposure coefficient. Our kzT is a topographic factor. And our kd is a wind directionality factor. Um, we've also got a couple other that You know, aren't built into this equation. One of them that comes to mind
1: is called elevation factor, or the altitude adjustment factor. This is kind of a new one, right? This is something that ASC 716 has now adopted. Full, it's now fully codified. It is no longer in the commentary in which it was for ASC 710, and now fully acceptable. Uh, I I believe before people were using it, uh, Denver. The city of Denver would allow up to a 13 or 14 percent reduction in wind density as an amend that was amended to their code. Yeah, which so, is nice. Yeah, the the um, what is it? The back of the code, the commentary basically stated that
0: you needed some sort of evidence and it is sort of vague what that evidence is, you know. Um, engineering and judgment. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know anything about wind density. <laughs> I think if you that that just gave you the wiggle room, if you were doing you know, a skyscraper or something, whatever, a 40, 60 story building, you know, that maybe required. Maybe you didn't want to go into wind tunnel testing, but you did want to evaluate this and, and save some costs, not use the absolute you know, most wind pressure that it might see. Uh, you would deal with this altitude adjustment factor. Definitely, people used it for all sorts of stuff. I know some residential um, engineers that used it all the time, no matter what. Uh, which I don't know if that's
1: how you're supposed to do that. But um, I mean, I think it's it's just and I mean, if you look at it now, it's fully codified. So. Yeah, now it's justified absolutely. So you know, now we've got to give
0: you an example. So we're we're Colorado on the Front Range. We're about five thousand feet. So our elevation adjustment factor is zero point eight three. Um, and that's in ASC 716. In 710, it was tabulated, not codified. And that, at that point, it was 0.86. So it's actually even gone down a little bit. So we're allowed basically to reduce our wind pressure by that
1: 17%. And that's something, you know, I, coming from sea level more or less, uh, Portland is at like 300 feet, never even thought about. Yeah. I mean, it's a giant reduction, but it, it makes sense. Air's thinner up here, right?
0: And that's that's really what this is about, is that the air is generally colder, so it's less dense. And because there's lower atmospheric pressure, it's less dense
1: there as well. Um, What's so that like, equation? Chemistry, PV equals NRT? Yeah, that's the one. I don't know if that applies, but <laughs> that's oh, well, the pressure in there, temperature. Okay, um, so we're, we're in these codes kind of step taking a step back. We jumped right in. We're... Where would I find these wind wind loads? Let's say I just graduated college. Someone told me to go get the wind loads for this building. Go figure them out. What do I do? And I feel like I should learn that I need to memorize the chapters when I'm talking to you. Um, it's
0: approximately <laughs> three quarters of the way through ASC seven, and if I flip my book, it usually
1: falls roughly in the wind chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so wind starts the chapter 20, 26, <laughs> ASC seven. That's where you find your kind of your general items they they go through uh, definitions of of, te- of terminology wind terminology and then talk a little bit about pressures and and all the things that you just discussed mm-hmm. and then it goes into twenty twenty seven and so on that for each different procedure and then the reason we get a lot, allowed to use ASC 7 is as stated in chapter 6 or yeah chapter 16, 1609, to be specific of the i b c uh states you can determine your wind loads based off of a s c seven uh between and it even states in that chapter twenty six to thirty so you know those that's your that's your basis it's That's your permission where you, your permission to you know the I, IBC gives you your permission to use a s c seven uh and so this is you know more or less where the code language is to do that and then now we you know kind of continue through going into the wind loads here let's
0: say i want to hit back on one thing on the on the velocity pressure before we move forward i said that it is proportional to the square of the velocity and i think this is kind of a hard it's, you know it's an easy concept but it, you can forget let's say you you're looking at a building that was in an old code and it had a wind speed of Whatever one fifteen ultimate, and now it goes up to one twenty five ultimate. It is not one twenty five over one fifteenth worse you know it is the square of those things worse, so it's much worse than it looks, I guess um right, so you know it it certainly makes sense, but I think when I was starting out, um I just thought of these things as linear uh but they're not, so just be aware, I guess.
1: Um, so the first thing you do, I mean, really, with any building, is kind of understand. And you you talked about this. with so the m- mean um, recurrence interval, you know, that's that's based off your risk of your of your structure. And instead of having an I value, you you know, you have these different wind speeds, which m- kind of come out to being the same the same thing. Mm-hmm. So now I've I've got my my three second gust at a certain altitude i'm guessing that i'm yeah that my base my basic wind speed is you know a three second gust and then the next thing i'm i guess i'm I'm probably going to be looking for is what what does my what does the area around my structure look like you know to kind of determine how exposed it is yeah let's
0: start hitting those factors so the one you're getting at there is probably the topographic factor, I imagine. But that also kind of includes surface roughness. You're more saying surface roughness. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, depending depending where your building is located, you know, you can have it, um, let's say, in some salt flats. Uh, surface roughness D, flat, unobstructed areas and water surfaces. Um, so there's some distance to this, which I, I don't, do you, do you recall what this is? Like how much flat you need to call it D? Oh man, I believe it's 2,000 feet. Sounds about right. And then moving down the line, you know, surface roughness C. We have relatively open terrain, scattered obstructions, and a lot of codes will default to C, um, which pretty much covers anything around town. D is really—it's got to be a long distance of open field. I know I've looked, you know, um, at a farm in eastern Colorado and we still ended up using C. It just wasn't completely open for far enough. It really takes a lot. Most buildings you do can be B. And I know we, we generally default to C, you're safe with C, but if you're doing anything in a city, you can go down to B and get that reduction. And then the other thing you've got is your topographic effects. So this is, um, these are your hills basically. So when wind approaches a hill, it basically gets squeezed by the land and it has to accelerate. So it's just like a venturi, or, you know, which is the throat of a carburetor or something. These are, I know these terms, but, you know, from water class in school, if you took this, uh, as water goes through constriction, it has to speed up. Right? The pressure reduces, but the speed increases. So if you put your building on top of a hill, you're basically putting in the center of
1: one of these venturis. So the wind speed will increase quite a bit at the top of the hill. Now, something interesting, Max, and you may or may not know is you actually there's a minimum you have to keep. <laughs> Tell me more. I think you know enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you look in the code, you know, when you go through these equations, you can you can get them to pop out some pretty small numbers potentially. If you really have the a, a perfect site, let's say that gives you the best factors through everything and you're at a super high altitude even you know you could get the pressures on your building to be crazy low but the code requires at least a minimum to be specified uh, for design and that would be a 16 pounds a square foot uh, for your wall pressure and a roof pressure of eight pounds per square foot. So there's you know you're trying to get fancy over here, taking all your factors and your your wind redu- reduction due to altitude but you know what we're gonna There's stop you at at, yeah. at 16 and 8 <laughs> and those those are ultimate loads right yeah sure.
0: that's, so yeah, yeah so we're, <laughs> we're in 710 those are ultimate and in 705 that minimum was 10 psf it was actually 10 all around i believe um, so now we've got this distinction, 8 and 16. All right, let's 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 hit some more factors here. I think we just have two more. The one that I really like is directionality factor. It doesn't change very often. Uh, this is that 0.85 in your equation. That's probably just repeated all the time. But what it's looking at is the probability that your building is hit with a wind in the exact direction that it is the worst. So, you know, if you have a gable roof, let's say the broadside of a barn here, what's the odds that the wind comes directly orthogonal with the long side of the barn and is the absolute worst case. It's not very good, right? So they apply this directionality factor to uh, adjust for this probability. And this is typically 0.85 for a building main wind force-resisting system. It's always 0.85. Whoa. Yeah. If you're looking at some other weird stuff, so you know, based on that example there, if you had something that was round, a round chimney or tank, the odds of the wind coming at the worst direction are pretty darn good because it's the same shape all around. It's ra- it is round, so your directionally fa- directionality factor there is 0.95. You know, it's very nearly certain that you're you're getting that worst case, except there will be some angle to it. You know, and then this jumps around a, a truss tower with any cross section other than triangular, square, or rectangular. I can't think of any others. Uh, is 0.95? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now so, something uh, you just said there. Main wind force. What yeah, I guess that? we didn't
0: really define that. What does that um, mean? I mean, I think it's a pretty good description of itself. But uh, usually what the else code, is there? It's, it's almost always written as MWFRS. Um, and this is your shear walls or whatever. This is your main structure that resists your wind force or...
1: So um, maybe you could define it as the same elements that would resist your your seismic loads.
0: Yeah, I was about to, and then I was like, well, there's wind in the title, so that's kind of weird, but it is the same elements, absolutely. Yeah, it is your main wind and seismic force-resisting system. The other version of this is your components and cladding. This is everything else. Oh. And, you know, so component cladding loading, that's that's a higher wind pressure. Is that right, Zach? <laughs> sure. That's exactly right. So when we're looking at components and cladding, we're looking at a smaller pressure. And the way that I always, or sorry, higher pressure, a smaller area, the way I always think about this is if you're looking out over a lake and it's windy, right? You see the lake, the water in the lake kind of move in little patterns. It's not all at once. So when we're looking at the main wind force, we're assuming that all this wind is uniformly hitting the building. But if you kind of zoom out, there is these pockets of high and low pressure. So when you look at a smaller area, you're more likely to get this lower pressure, but you're also more likely to get these higher pressures. So you can end up with a higher average pressure than you would when you're looking at a large area. And the cutoff they use is 700 square feet. So anything below 700 square feet, you can get into your CNC loading. It's going to be a higher load. Um, and until it gets you know, past that 700 size, then they say, you know, it's, it's uniform enough wind is not completely uniform across a cross section of the wind um but it's close enough at that
1: point so i'll design my shear walls for my main wind force system resisting system mm-hmm. force and then i'll design the studs in those shear walls for that wind pressure of the components and cladding absolutely
0: yeah and i've, I've even seen i don't know if this holds this was a while ago that you don't have to use component and cladding loading once you're to this like, second degree member. So let's say, I mean, this is a bad example because it's on the ground, but if you had a floor joist and a girder, your floor joist would have this CNC loading, but your girder wouldn't have to. Okay, I think we got one more to go over and then we'll do our second part sometime in the next week or two. The last one we have got here is the enclosure classification. There are three enclosures in ASC 710, and I'm pretty sure now there's four in ASC 716. Okay, so what we're gonna look at now is enclosure classification. In ASC 710, there are three categories of enclosure. You can have an open building, like a picnic pavilion or something. You can have an enclosed building, pretty much any house, or you can have something in between. That's a partially enclosed building. An enclosed building is actually something, you know it's defined as a building that does not comply with any of the other two. An open building is pretty obvious. It is each wall having at least 80% open. And then the one that's actually kind of complicated is this partially. So partially enclosed building is a building that complies with both of the following conditions being the total area of openings in a wall that receive positive external pressure exceed the sum of the area of the openings blah blah blah. This is actually kind of long. I don't think it's fun to read. <laughs> but but basically it's it's somewhere in between. right? So the reason that this is worse, right? You you have a higher pressure in a partially enclosed building. Your internal pressure coefficient is 0.55 because this thing can basically be inflated without room for the air to blow out. An open building, you know, fills up with air and just comes on out the other side. If you have a partially enclosed building and it's blown from the wrong side, you can have this sort of fill up like a sail and kind of get double your wind load. You still have positive on the walls, you still have negative on the backside, but now you've got this giant positive
1: on the inside as well. Um, so that's that's really your worst case, right? Yeah, it brings us up to point five five from point one eight. So that's
0: that's I think it. I mean, uh, on the basics of wind, uh, looking at all the factors and kind of the intro here,
1: I think and they did think throw got it covered. It, you're right. They did throw in a new enclosure classification of partially open structures. That's right uh they found that it was was too conservative to be either partially enclosed or an open structure and so they found that there's a lot of buildings that fit into this kind of middle ground and so in ASC 716 they added in a new uh, classification and thank you the audience (laughs) if you You enjoyed the podcast
0: please subscribe it helps us out a lot. And if you have any questions, shoot us an
1: email. Uh, email and every contact is in the show notes down there. And before we sign out, I want to thank everyone that's listening right now. We've been getting a lot of feedback, both email, uh, Facebook, Instagram. You know, I, uh, the show's really getting a lot, of, a lot of feedback from people. And I think that's awesome. Both, you know, criticism on how we can do better and, and people liking some of the things we're saying. So please keep it coming. And our audio is getting better every week. <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> we are working on it. Let us know what what you guys would like and what you, you look forward to and what you don't like. and we'll, Yeah, uh...
0: we, we got some ideas for shows from people uh, coming in on email and Instagram and stuff. So we really appreciate that. And those are in development. So reach out to us and have a good week. See ya.